Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Away we go here with episode number 19 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my co-host, Michael Perry. Mike, good to see you as always. Good to see you, buddy. We've got a, we've got an amazing guest today with a fantastic first name as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased towards our guest today. I am, sure. I am out-perried, as they will say, because our, our guest today is is Dr. Perry Nicholson, who is a uh, a friend from going way, way back in the early days of FMS, and it's been way too long, so I'm so excited we're going to have him on here to catch up. And for those of you who who aren't aware of his work with Stop Chasing Pain, he's a chiropractic physician with a focus on performance enhancement, corrective exercise, metabolic fitness and nutrition. Uh, he's a member of the board of directors and a medical staff advisor for the American Institute of Medical Laser Application and teaches laser stuff all over the world. He's a regular com- columnist for Dynamic Chiropractic and Livestrong and strengthcoach.com and a whole bunch of other publications. Uh, he's an expert in movement assessment and diagnosis, and uh, he has a, uh, something called the core for RRTT recovery regeneration program for pain relief that he uses. And so uh, he's also in the process of publishing several books on health, fitness, laser therapy, business success, and self-treatment programs. This guy does it all. Dr. Perry Nicholson, welcome to the Principles of Performance. Thank you very much, my friend. It's great to be here for episode 19. That's a good number. I'll take yes, it. it is. Awesome. So we're going to dive in because we got a lot of stuff to cover. So I'm going to let Mike kick things off and then we'll kind of go bouncing back and forth with a bunch of questions we have for you. Let's yeah, do so, it. So, you know, the first thing that people think about when they hear chiropractor is they think, hey, I'm going to go and see this guy that cracks backs. But yeah. you've uh, you've elevated your profession far beyond just, you know, cracking backs. Um, let's talk about movement and, and how has movement sort of been uh, the center point of your practice in general? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, it's the old thing, the question that people always ask me, you know, with the elevator speech of uh, what do you do? What's your profession? I don't say chiropractor anymore because people automatically go to this mental file folder of what they think that is, like you referenced before. And it's a hundred percent chance you're going to be wrong if you try to put me in that box. Right. Or you'll go by uh, somebody else's experience with the chiropractor i still don't even know how to describe what i do honestly uh whatever it takes to get you better is i guess is a good answer but yeah i got frustrated early on when i was a chiropractor of why all of these things that i was doing to help people feel better weren't really lasting very long like why stuff kept coming back why in the hell did i have to see you three times a week for four weeks i mean who's the genius that made up that care plan that everybody falls into so I like to question everything. That's kind of my my my, uh, my, my part in life, if you will. Uh, you tell me to go left, I'm going to go right and uh, ask you why you told me to go left. And I just was getting very frustrated. I was very close to quitting, honestly. And then that's when I came across the work of people that you're both familiar with, Greg Cook and uh, FMS and SFMA. And his whole thing was, uh, you know, looking at how people move. And I thought to myself, well, there's a genius idea because I'm only looking at them when they're lying on a table. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're face down and I'm not even looking at your face or your body. I'm just looking at the back and everybody seemed to have the same kind of care planned. At least that's the kind of model that I was uh, raised up in with practice. No matter what you came in with, y'all got the same exam, y'all got the same x-rays, y'all got the same speech, y'all got the same stuff. I'm like, this is just not what I wanted to do. And then I realized, well, that's probably the missing piece of 
to why this stuff wasn't sticking. Because like, what, what do all these people have to do when they get off my table and leave my office? Oh, yeah, they got to move. So it's probably a good idea to see how they move or talk to them about movement. And then that's where it began. And then also traveling down the road of, you know, looking at how the body parts that you're not pointing to and complaining of, how do they move to? Not just, not just the place that you're pointing at. Well, and that's where I want to go next, because unfortunately, traditionally, people look at things at a very local level. If I came into you and my right hip hurts, you know, you're going to look at a very myopic view of just looking at my right hip and ice, poke, prod, heat, stim, rubbed, crack, do whatever you can to my right hip. But that's obviously not where the source of the pain is a lot of times. And that's kind of the, your your whole mantra is to stop chasing pain. So tell us how you see the interconnected relationship of how the entire body works together uh, and, and, and understanding and appreciating that and how that creates lasting outcomes. Yeah. So the stop chasing pain name actually came from Gray Cook. I was at a seminar in New Jersey. This was, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, maybe even more than that. And he was teaching a workshop with Kyle Kiesel at the time on the selective functional movement assessment, which you know of, and then maybe people who are listening know of it. That's the medical side of looking at movement to try to determine why people have uh, pain. And the whole premise behind that is to look at areas of the body that they're not complaining of, because that's probably where you're going to find your answer, which was a novel idea for me at the time. It's like, holy cow, there's a lot of other stuff I can be looking at. And this um, three words showed up on a white background in red. It said, stop chasing pain. And as soon as I saw that, that changed everything for me because that's what I was doing. And I really wasn't even chasing it, honestly, because everybody was pointing to where it was. I didn't have to chase anything. I was just rubbing and doing all sorts of these things to where they pointed and crossing my fingers. And hey, what do you know? It hurts for a little, it helps for a little bit, but then it kept coming back. So I already knew that there was something different. And when I read his, one of his first books, Athletic Body and Balance, it was talking about areas that had some what they call non-painful dysfunction, which means it's not painful, but there's some type of, I don't even like the word dysfunction. I try not to use that anymore, but um, maybe it doesn't move as well as it should. Like it lacks mobility or maybe it moves too much uh, more than it should in a moment that you need it. So it doesn't have enough stability. It's a mixture of the two of those, which I'm sure will go down. And then maybe that's the reason that it hurts somewhere else. So when I saw for the first time that, hey, maybe you should take a look at your ankle to see if your ankle has enough mobility motion in it. Because if it doesn't, you might pay the price for that in your knee or your hip. And I thought I just discovered the coolest thing ever when I saw that. Like, wow, that makes so much sense. And then I started to look at that ankle. And then lo and behold, I found a lot of ankles that weren't moving. Right? And then I started to treat where somebody was complaining of more so because they expected me to. So I treat there because you're expecting me to go there and plus it shows empathy. And then I educate you along the way so you can see things that I'm seeing. And then I look at your ankle, for instance, and then I started to move the ankle and they said, Doc, I don't know, this is the craziest thing in the world, but you know what? My hip finally feels better. It's lasting a little bit longer. And then that was the spark. And then I started to say, well, maybe I can look at the ankle on the other side of the body. Maybe that works too, because everything is interconnected, right? All of these, when you walk and you move, everything goes together, but we're very myopic in the way that we look at things in Western medicine in particular, because that's how we like to investigate everything down to these uh, individual parts. But whenever you put all these parts together, they change how they function. They don't function the same when you put them together. And that's where it began. It became fun for me again. Honestly, I'd lost my zest for practice. I wasn't having fun anymore. I was very close to quitting. And now I became like Sherlock Holmes every session where it began to say, oh, I wonder where it's coming from on this person. And I just automatically assumed at that point that it's not from where you're pointing. So let's let's keep going down the musculoskeletal road because we're going to go off of that path in, in a little bit. But how much of what we do in, and not only training, but a lot in, in treatment modalities are so mobility biased. And I love the fact that you brought up that there's the other side of the coin, that there's also a control piece, but you're not fixing control with mobilizing a joint. You're not fixing control with, with creating soft tissue work all the time. So how does control fit into the mix for someone who's a clinician, who's that's really not the 
the, the bias of a lot of what you're taught, is it? No, not at all, especially from my, where I was from, because everything was a kind of a mobility restriction, uh, a.k.a. fixation slash subluxation along the spine. So, you know, I'm trained to take any joint in your body that's stuck and move it. I mean, I can do that in my sleep, right? But I kept finding that they always were locking up again. And I'm like, well, what? I mean, I can move it from A to B, but if it keeps on from B to A, why is that? So it was all about the mobility component. I wasn't even looking at stability. I didn't even know what the hell that word meant, honestly, until I came across Gray's work when they were talking about the combination of needing the mobility. So you have the requisite range of motion, but then you can you control that motion when you move it? And that's the stability part. And then that's when he started to, to frame things more from the neurodevelopmental perspective on how we learn to move as human beings, you know, as infants to gain the, the right, if you will, to stand up and become a monster and move on two feet. And it, it was right there in front of us the whole time, but I wasn't seeing that. He said, listen, I mean, when you're, when you're born, you got all this mobility, you're a sloppy, hot mess. You just can't move anywhere because you can't control it. And so that first part of your life is being able to learn how to move, to get that stability with your mobility. So then you have the mixture of the two. And then you realize that if you don't have that stability, all that mobility ain't going to last for long. <laughs> right. And so that was one of the things that I started to do was, and one of the missing pieces is that here I am, I've got people unloaded so they don't have to fight gravity because they're laying down on a table, right? So all everything relaxes, all the tension should supposedly relax. And then I spend a session with you uh, mobilizing things, taking joints that are stuck and I'll unstuck it. I'll try to get your faster to move a little better, release all that uh, muscular tension. And then you'll be like Gumby, right? And then all of a sudden I'm going to say, okay, you're done. You can stand up now and then go on two feet. And then uh, I'll see you after. I wasn't even giving them any kind of corrective exercise and say, uh, come back in, in two days. And then I realized that I'm giving them all this mobility back. But as soon as they stand up, they need stability big time. So they don't crash to the floor and they don't have it. <laughs> so when they stand up on two feet, the nervous system goes, holy crap. Are you kidding me here? Like, I don't know what to do with all the stuff you just did. So what it does is it goes back to what it's been doing the whole time that brought you in to see me, which is tighten you up and stiffen you up to protect you. So you don't hurt yourself more. So your mobility restrictions kept coming back as a form of protection. So until I realized that I need to help re help your nervous system, remember the stability part, because we haven't revisited that in a long period of time for people because they're so busy cranking on tissues to move stuff that on stock. And then I just started to say, you know what, I'm going to stop thinking like research papers. I'm going to start thinking like my brain and my nervous system knows how to think. And I'm going to ask it, like, why in the hell are you tightening all these things up over and over and over? And the answer was, well, I'm trying to give you the stability that you don't have. And I'm trying to protect you from doing something even more stupid than you're doing now to make it worse. And you keep taking it all away every single time I come into this office. So uh, it's this fight that was going back and forth. And that was the deciding factor of, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go after both now. And I would do the mobility work and do the soft tissue work. Then I would get into some of the uh, exercise programs for them and then giving them things to begin to do on their own to help them build up their stability. That was one of the best, the biggest missing piece for me was the stability part. I mean. I mean, I can get anything to move, but it's, will it stay that way? And if it doesn't stay that way, for me, you got to go to this, to a stability part. You got to go to something is missing in the underlying overall nervous system protective response from your body. And I got to find out where it is and, and why your body is choosing this particular route to protect you. And it's different for everybody. Does that make sense? Uh, no, I'm okay. sorry, Mark. And, and so uh, what I like the best is, is what you keep interjecting is why, like taking a step back and saying, instead of just saying it's all about tight hip flexors and weak glutes, like why is your hip flexor tight in the first place? And it, there may be a reason for it. And if I untighten that, I, I, I'm actually doing you a disservice. 
Yeah, well, the body never does anything without a reason, even if you don't know what the hell it is. But I know what it is. It's always trying to protect you, but it's doing the best it can with what it's got in the moment it's in to accomplish that task. So if it's tightening up my psoas, I have to figure out why that is. So I know it's a protection response, but then I have to look deeper protection from what, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I think, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people that are familiar with the SFMA and the FMS, they understand sort of this lingo, but can you just, can you describe for our listeners the difference between stability and stiffness when it comes to muscles? Sure. Well, let's talk about mobility, which is actually the ability to actually move. Do you have that requisite motion? And the stability, stability is actually the ability to resist motion, to become stable. And even Paul Check, one of the pioneers, always said stability always precedes force production. So if you want to be a monster, you have to have a stable base. And if you don't have the requisite stability um, in, in your nervous system, your, your body's going to find a way to give it to you. And one of the ways that it'll give it to you is through tightness and tension and stiffness, which, which is a component of what you need, but you need to, you need to have it. And then you need to let it go. Right. It's a yin and yang. It's a pendulum. You give you the stiffness and I'm going to take it back. I'm going to give you the stiffness and take it back. That's mobility and stability. So all these joints always need both. How much they need depends on, uh, the moment that you're in, the environment that you're in, the task that you're asking it to accomplish. So it changes all the time. One minute, my ankle might need to have more mobility in it. And a split second later, it needs to have the stability in it. And if you don't have it, well, then your body's going to find it. Say, holy crap, Perry doesn't have it in the ankle. I got to find it from somewhere. And so they stiffen things up because joint bones don't move without muscles and muscles don't move without brains. Right. So it's always a nervous system component. So your nervous system will tighten it up for you. So even everything comes down to my, to my boy, Gray, who gives these representations of, you know, if you're trying to bend over to touch your toes, what has to move? Yes, is the answer. Like everything, right? Um, and if you're trying to touch your toes and you don't have the requisite motion, even in your ankle or your hips and your hamstrings have to, to let you go, uh, but your, your hamstrings can tighten up to protect you from falling over and face planting because your nervous system knows that you don't have that control. So it stops you from getting there with your hamstrings. You can tighten up, you can stress the hamstrings all day long, which is what people do, but it just keeps coming back because you haven't found out the reason why the, the neurological reason why the hamstrings are sometimes it could be even another system. Like if you have an inner ear vestibular system problem, which means your, your body can't tell which way is up and where are you from trying to go forward to touch your toes. Well, that's a sign of, uh, of a nervous system threat right there. Cause your nervous system doesn't know where you are or where you're going to be next. So it'll say, I'm not letting you move anywhere. I'm going to tighten up your hamstrings. So if you don't address balance on the inner ear, that's a big one. And I'm going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit here because I, I, I know we're going to get to it later. But your organs also have to move when you bend forward. Like if your liver is not able to glide from underneath your diaphragm and over the other organs, you ain't touching your toes. <laughs> so that's another reason why visceral movement matters and the motion of the diaphragm matters. You have to look at, at the whole picture. And here's the thing. Uh, it's really terrifying when you know that it can come from anywhere, right? Well, that's actually where I was going to go next. And it's funny you dropped Paul Check's name. I did two levels of, of Paul's internship way back in, in around, I guess it was around 2000 and with Paul. And so he was the first person who introduced to me uh, the concept of visceral-somato-somato-visceral reflexes that, you yeah. know, you, you don't feel your your, your liver, you don't feel, you know, those things, you know, when you have a heart attack, you feel your arm. And so you have these reflexes within your body. And so for the people that are, you know, already have their minds blown by this whole uh, global movement and in uh, regional independence concept, we've been talking about, let's really go down the rabbit hole and spin our heads around. Talk about how your organs get involved, whether it's through the fascial system or otherwise. Yeah. So I have a, a saying that I use all the time. Okay. No system in the body ever works alone. And what I mean by systems, all the ones that we name off and we break apart and we study individually, your nervous system, cardiovascular system, your immune system. Yeah. And even the organ systems we study individually, but I got news for you. They don't function individually. They all work together. 
Okay. So they never get injured alone. So when you injure one, all of them are affected. They never heal alone. If there's a problem with one, they're all trying to help each other out. And, and to me, you're only as strong and, and resilient as the system that has the most vulnerability in it. And it's not necessarily the one that you're complaining of. Most of the time, it's not. And then there's no such thing as an isolated injury. It's all or nothing. And there's no such thing as isolated healing, but that's how we look at it. That's why the regional interdependence thing stuck with me because of the interdependent uh, aspect of it. And even in the musculoskeletal work, that was my issue is that I, I was having a great time knowing that, holy cow, if, if my right hip hurts, uh, has an issue, it can affect me and my opposite side shoulder, right? The cost body patterns. So I was having a blast, but I forgot there were a lot of other systems working in conjunction with the musculoskeletal system. And you talked about the viscerosomatic, that's the organ system feeding into the muscular system, right? And that's all coming back to neurology as well. People are not consciously aware of the input that their organs are sending into the nervous system, but that doesn't mean they're not sending information in there all the time. It's just at a subconscious level all the time, right? Most of most of your movements and your behaviors and your life is driven at 95% in the background of the subconscious level. You have no freaking idea why you're doing what you're doing. You think you know why you're doing it, but trust me, you're going to be wrong. So you, you, you consciously are aware of something, but it's that organ input coming into your brain from the insides. They call that interoception, inside sensory feedback to the body that's feeding your nervous system, telling you to move a certain way that you don't really understand that that's why you're moving that way. Cause we're paying attention to these exteroception, these outside cues, which are great, but the organ systems of the body are always intricately connected to the musculoskeletal system because you can't move without all of them working together. I mean, that's the huge part. So I'll have a lot of people that I, uh, put them down on the table. And the first assessment that I do is to start to put my hands uh, around the abdominal region, just because I want to assess the muscles around your cylinder or your core, if you will, from your transverse abdominis, your rectus abdominis, your abdominal obliques. And I'm like, you know, that's level one, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff sitting up underneath there. And then you dig in a little bit deeper and then you can start to see how the nervous system becomes very uncomfortable. You can see the vulnerability there uh, in the eyes and the breathing and in the behavior. And a lot of times I'll stick my fingers in there and you want to punch me in the face because it freaking hurts. And what I'm telling you is it's not supposed to hurt when I put my fingers in there. So that is also underlying pain and inflammation in your abdominal visceral region that your nervous system and your musculoskeletal system has to move around all the time. So you don't feel it. Does that make sense? So there's a, there's a history form that people fill out when they get personal training or when they go to the doctor and it shows you organs, it shows you body systems. So you need to look at all those check marks that people put in for all those other systems, because that's giving you a window into that person's story, that person's history. And that matters. And you can have a lot of musculoskeletal chronic pain and discomfort that's actually coming from a signal deeper from the visceral organs that nobody's caught on to yet. That nobody's caught on. One of the ways that you catch on to it is uh, through the history and then sticking my fingers in there and, and watching how you react. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, it's just, it just goes to show that, man, the body is a complex system. And um, if you're looking at one spot, you're probably missing something. But we're going to change gears a little bit. Um, you know, we followed your work for, for, for quite some time here. And, you know, you talk about the importance of healthy and harmonious lymphatic system. Can you explain to people in general what that means? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, well, the lymph system is part of your many systems. Uh, it's actually a huge part of your vascular system. So that's really important for people, for anybody, because without the vascular system, you're kind of dead quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because it's all about blood flow in and blood flow out and waste out to cells, right? And so your cardiovascular system is also beholden to the lymphatic system. Why? Because the lymph system will actually dump its end product into the veins of the body at the collarbone. So whatever's in the lymph system will end up in the venous system. 
So they're, they're interconnected. So in my world, if you have a blood flow issue, you have a lymph issue. If you have a lymph issue, you have a blood flow issue. Zero discussion, zero debate. They always go together because they link into each other. And why is that important in relationship to you? Because it can make a difference on how well blood actually gets to the physical tissue that you're trying to heal and how waste gets away from the cells of the body or the site of injury that somebody is coming in for help. Because a big way that that gets out are through the veins of the body. And then it's also part of your immune system. And inflammation is an immune system response, not a musculoskeletal one. That's really important for people to understand. <laughs> if you have inflammation, it's not a musculoskeletal thing. It's just, it's an immune system thing because it's trying to come on in there and kill things and attack things that are trying to kill you or get rid of stuff that's been damaged in there to get it out. And the lymphatic system is the primary component of that immune system. So it gets rid of a metabolic waste and cellular waste, which is what you get from injury and from trauma and you get it from working out and training because every time you train you destroy cells and you break them down on purpose so you can make newer stronger more resilient ones and become a monster so every time you work out you purposely create inflammation but you're supposed to get over that inflammation and the the lymphatic system eliminates inflammation so if you have long-standing issues with chronic inflammation systemically in the body or in a localized region, I'll tell people you usually have a blood flow in and out issue and a lymphatic system issue. It also kills uh, bacteria, parasites, fungus, cancer cells, you name it. Whatever gets into your system that you don't want in there, it's basically the sewage system plant of your body. Right? And so it's the, one of the primary systems that I always assess on people. Even if they're complaining, even if they're saying that they feel great and I don't have any pain anywhere, it doesn't mean that you still might not have a vascular issue or a lymphatic issue. You just haven't started to manifest physical symptoms yet. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. All right, so we've gotten That's pretty a, deep. Let's right. we're gotten pretty deep here. So let's let's <laughs> let's, say, let's resurface and and come up for air for the for whether it's the, the trainer that's head's already spinning or it's the, the end user. And you know, Mike and I always like to say we work on our course content and say they're sitting in this chair saying, All right, so what do I do about it? It's just tell me what to do. So what are some practical steps that someone can take to get as as I love you like to say, that good lymphatic mojo? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the first step towards changing or making a difference in your lymphatic system is knowing that you got one and what it is, right? So it just told you the two big things that it's a part of. It's your circulatory system and it's your vascular system and your immune system. So it's a huge driver in sports performance and recovery. Right? So one of the things about the lymphatics is that uh, you've got more lymph fluid in your body than blood. You've got about five liters of bud. You've got anywhere from 10 to 12 liters of lymphatics that are constantly circulating throughout your body. And one of the things that you, how you know you have a lymphatic system issue is because maybe you have chronic pain or inflammation or a little bit of swelling in the body, particularly in your ankles and your feet or your extremities, um, tiredness, fatigue, lethargy, also, brain fog is a huge one that people get, and tightness and stiffness, especially um, after, when they wake up in the morning, and delayed onset muscle soreness. It takes you a lot longer to begin to recover from something. So it's interesting with lymphatics because two things move the lymphatics primarily. One is movement, and people say, what kind of movement? Well, yes is my answer. 
means I just need you to move, move more of yourself, more often, more ways, more environments. There's no magical elixir movement program for lymphatics. Walking is probably about as close as you're going to get. And then jumping up and down in place like you're on a trampoline, uh, which most humans don't walk a lot anymore. And they definitely don't jump up and down like they should. That helps move lymphatics. But humans don't really move a lot as much as they used to. So the system becomes very stagnant or obstructed, just like water outside in nature. If it doesn't move and it sits there, it gets stagnant. So for the average person, I just tell them, I want you to start to get up and move your body more than you do now, especially in ways that you've never done before, but also different environments, because that makes a big difference too, because your, your nervous system and your immune system adapt to your environment. So one of the easiest ways that you can change how you feel and how you move is to change the environment that you're doing it in, right? For, for instance, training outside when you train inside, taking your shoes off when you normally have them on, something like that. And then the other one is uh, breathing, breathing through the diaphragm. So if you can concentrate on doing more diaphragmatic breathing, which increases pressure in your abdomen and pressure moves fluids, pressure moves fluids. And the easiest way that you can move through your diaphragm is to just breathe in and out through your nose more than you do now. That automatically forces your diaphragm to move more without you asking it to, because it's automatically going to move more because you're using your nose instead of your mouth, because your mouth is not for breathing. It's for eating and talking. You do those two things. If you can start to do some better breathing and moving differently, you can make a big difference in your lymphatics. And here's the thing. I know I'm going on, but this is important. People say, Doc, you know, I mean, I'm a movement ninja and I do all sorts of breathing. So my lymph should be good, right? I'm going, well, should is the operative word. Sometimes it's so overloaded, it's so obstructed and overburdened that those are no longer enough. Then you have to go in there and you have to manually move it. And you do that by going around the primary areas of your body, hold on for it, where you carry the most tension. Because that's where most of the lymph nodes that are those little tiny sewage plants to get rid of all that waste reside. And they reside around the joints of your body that are supposed to move the most and usually have the most mobility restrictions to them. So you lose mobility and you lose fluid flow at the same time. And I'm even going to throw a, uh, a monkey in the wrench at you and say, maybe you have a mobility problem because you have a blood flow and lymph problem long before you had a mobility problem. Right. Wow. Okay. So a lot, lot to take in here. So let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, so, it is. um, so, and, and as it should be right. Um, if it was as simple as saying stretch your hip flexors and, and do clamshells, we'd, we'd all have a lot easier jobs. Um, now, part of one of the things that you specialize in came from a personal story that you had a pretty severe back injury yourself. And yeah. through that, you discovered uh, laser treatments. Kind of explain to the people what laser therapy is, what it did for you and what it can do for others. Yeah, I got into laser therapy pretty early on, actually, before many people were talking about it. This is probably going on 18 years ago, I think. It's come a long way since then, and you see a lot more people using different forms of light therapy, which is fantastic to see because it's really important in the overall healing of the body. But yeah, I hurt my lower back uh, bodybuilding because that was my background, um, and I heard it one too many times, man. I just This one I didn't really get up from, and even the chiropractic and the traditional physical therapy and stuff that I'd been studying up to that point really wasn't enough anymore. I was actually this close to going into surgery because I really was having a hard time functioning. And uh, a colleague of mine was using some laser therapy in his office. He was a fellow chiropractor and he, he was quite successful. And he said, why don't you come on over? Let, let me try it on you. This has been very helpful for people. And I said, okay, I'm running out of options here. And he put me down on the table and I think it was at the time because they're, they're much more powerful now than they were back then. So my treatment was a lot longer. It was like a 15 minute session that I got on the back and, Oh man, it felt so good. It was nice and soothing and warm. 
And I felt the difference when I stood up, like I could move e easier and better. But it wasn't until about 24 hours later that I really noticed a significant difference in my level of pain and my ability to accomplish some of my daily tasks of just being able to, to get out of bed and move. And the pain down my leg started to subside a little bit as well from that one 15-minute session. And then from there, I went back to him for a series. I think it was about eight to 10 of them. But by that 10th one, I'd say it was like 90, 95%. Whereas it wasn't the only thing that I was doing. I was still doing some of the other things. I think it was the unique combination of them together that was quite helpful. And then that's when I never looked back. That's when I just went down the rabbit hole of using laser therapy light to heal myself. And at that time, <laughs> there really wasn't a ton of, there was there, but you had to really look for it on you know the research of why this stuff works. Now, if you just type in uh, you know, laser therapy and pain or how it works on the internet, you're going to find enough stuff to keep you busy for a couple of years. So it's definitely got some things behind it that'll prove you how it works without me much better than the way I'm going to say it here. But the number, one of the primary things that it does is reduces the surrounding inflammation and increases blood flow to a region. So you can get rid of all of those things that have gathered around there and become that what they call noxious stimuli to the nerve endings there that can travel up and, and give you a sensation of pain in the body. And so it just does it through light because cells in the body respond to the light. It's called the photoreceptors that they respond to. And it kickstarts the mitochondrial process for healing, recovery, and regeneration at a significant rate. And what was great about the laser is that it took it and put it in a really small size area, small spot. And then that's when I really started to take the work of Gray Cook and his looking at other parts of the body in relationship to the side of pain, because I started to have great success with the laser too, but I felt, you know what, maybe I could have even more success. So what I began to do was shine the light and the, the laser where somebody was complaining of their physical pain to help decrease the pain. And then I started to also put it on the areas that I discovered through my assessment of those non-painful areas of dysfunction where they might've had restriction in some motion or tightness or tension or stability issues that we were talking about before to help them feel better. So as an example, I would shine it on somebody's hip that they were complaining of pain in. And I would also put it on that same side ankle that had issues that I found on a movement assessment. So then I got both of those areas and my results became even larger, even bigger. And then it, it comes full circle later uh, with the lymphatics and blood flow, because when you stimulate the lymphatic system, so all that stuff that you're doing with that isolated laser on that hip can get fully out of the body. Once you do the whole lymphatic system together at the same time, then everything, everything was just kind of a storybook that cycled together. And that was the answer that I've been looking for, for honestly, 25 years of, of doing all these things and integrating them in together. Now in our oh, industry, I'm sorry, Mike, the, the, just real quick question on the laser before you get, get to your question with the laser stuff, as with any new method that's out there, um, there's going to be a lot of people that jump on it and not necessarily understand the principles behind it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not lucky enough to live in New Jersey where they have me, they have Perry Nicholson, they have the best pizza, the highest taxes and car insurance. If I can't mm -hmm. get to Perry, right. And how do, what do I look for to vet to make sure I'm getting the right type of laser therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, honestly, I can tell you that now it's come a long way in relationship to the quality of the lasers and the equipment that people have because they weren't always that great. And every single type of laser therapy that you go is going to give you some type of benefit because it's, it's laser, it's light. So it's going to work. But it's also going to come down to the skill of the person holding it. No, you're going to get that. I can't tell you. <laughs> but this one is almost stupid proof in a way is that all you got to do is shine that sucker on the area that hurts through the prescribed setting that's in the unit. Like it'll usually have in there uh, tendonitis, you know, sciatica, 
plantar fasciitis, it'll put your diagnosis into the machine. And if you put that on there and you put it on the side of pain, you're going to get some great results in there because they've been able to program these to have the adequate uh, dosage. It's called a dosage, if you will, of the light, kind of like a dosage of a medication. And you just need to make sure that you get the right amount in there, not too much, not too little. So that's why they do it uh, with the pre-programs and you, you put it there. Uh, it, the other expertise of shining it somewhere else that just depends on how good the person that you're working with is. And that's a crapshoot, quite honestly. But just find the laser first, a light. And so many people have them now that you can just do um, laser therapy near me and it'll show up and you can go see them and you'll you'll have some changes in there. You really will. But there, there are also uh, many different types of units. But I, I will tell people straight up, if you go to a place and you've gotten about six sessions and you're not feeling any different, then you need to go somewhere else that ain't the right one. You're going to notice it within six. You'll usually notice it, honestly, within a couple is what you should. doesn't mean you're going to be totally where you need to be in that one standpoint, but you should be feeling a, a difference. Most applications of the laser um, take anywhere from eight to 10 sessions on average for people, depending on when you catch it in the injury spectrum and how they're healing and what their overall rehab program is. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, obviously you need, you need a little bit of exposure and, and, uh, now <clears throat> We, we, we do want to change gears a little bit because, I mean, you've talked about like so many different things and, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've discussed is sort of outside the realm of the musculoskeletal system. And, and it can, it can be out of the scope of practice for personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches. So how do you suggest that we build more awareness uh, on these things and, and, and recognize that, Hey, we might be dealing with something that just can't be fixed with, you know, a little bit of treatment and exercise alone. Yeah, well, here's the thing I tell people. It's not outside your scope because every time you do anything, you're moving the organs and you're moving lymph. If you're working with a person as a, per as a personal trainer, that stuff is moving, right? And then what happens is that every time you stick a foam roller on your hamstring, you're influencing your lymphatics all the time. So the key to that is just knowing where you're putting your foam roller first, second, third, and fourth. That's the thing with lymphatics. It's the, it's the order in which you do things with the lymphatic system that makes a difference on how well it works. It's also the key to how well anything else works is the order that you do it in. But here's a novel idea is that you can teach somebody how to do diaphragmatic breathing and teach them to move their organs better by doing diaphragmatic breathing, right? You can also have a person lie their belly on a foam roller. And there you go. You just did your own form of what they call visceral manipulation. Right. So the organs are like anything else. If you teach somebody how to tie a band around their ankle and anchor it somewhere and then pull backwards and how to yank their ankle out, then you can teach them also how to put a foam roll or a medicine ball on their abdomen and put a little pressure in there to get motion and movement in that area, too. Right. So don't be afraid or intimidated that it's not in your scope because first of all, you're not treating anybody for a diagnosis. You're just helping that person and human move better and relieving tension in areas they didn't even know that they had, right? And that quote unquote, that centralized uh, core. So one of the things that I always tell everybody is that, you know, if you just massage your own abdomen, see, part of being a trainer is you empower people to take care of themselves. So you say, look, I'm not going to stick my fingers in your abdomen because I can't stick my fingers in your abdomen. But you know who can? You can. Stick your fingers in your own abdomen and you see if it's tight and if it's tender or if it's painful and move stuff around. And Eastern medicine, they'll tell you, if you massage your abdomen for 20 minutes a day, you'll change your life. And I guarantee you, you will. You'll change pain anywhere in the body when you begin uh, to do that. And most of your lymphatics and most of the blood flow in your body is located in your gut. How cool is that? So in my world, you should be rubbing in that region, right? So I'm going to throw one more thing out there as a question and, and thing to chew on is, is if I'm hearing you correctly, as much of, of things we can do to it will affect the health of all these systems. Sometimes it's as much as what we don't do to it. And the art of 
programming to not overtrain people, right? Is that's a, is don't be the person who creates that issue. So like the example of, you know, if we, you know, we're both from the FMS world and we get a lot of the arrows talking about the, the, uh, injury prevention thing and saying, well, you know, we never really went out and said we're preventing injuries, right? But what I'm trying to do is prevent me from hurting you, right? Mm-hmm. Is I want to make sure I don't do dumb shit with you. And so sometimes that's as much of a, a healing as anything else, right? Is you could do all those things and then you go out and do some hit workout and destroy them. You just undid all that good healing, correct? Yeah, it's all about the dosage for sure, right? And a lot of people are getting overwhelmed with just too many things to do. Um, An overwhelmed nervous system gets overwhelmed very quickly, (laughs) right? We just want to sledgehammer everything. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of these therapy programs and training programs don't work because I find people are already in a perpetual state of just being overtrained and their system is just on the edge of a cliff. And it's barely hanging on with a couple of fingers. And then you go in there and you throw too much stuff at it. Sometimes it's just a matter of backing off the doses, backing backing off the quantity of things like that. It can make a huge difference. Um, so yeah, th- that's where in in my line of work, it's 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 also very strategic in you have all these different options, you have all these different tools, you know. When are you choosing to use them? Why are you choosing to use them now? And why are you choosing to use them in this particular order, right? Not just because they're good, but there's a, there's a reason that you're doing it. There's a reason behind it and there's a time behind it. A lot of that stuff just comes down to the overall awareness that you need to be doing something in the first place. Because so many of these areas that people need to focus on are areas that nobody ever told them about, right? for instance, in relationship to ankle mobility. We're in this small little circle uh, in our world that we know or the people that listen to your show or people that you teach and we go and we come, we talk to in all these conferences. And we think that everybody on this earth knows the importance of making sure that your ankle has good mobility and your big toe can extend backwards enough so you can get good hip extension. I got a news for you. 99.9% of the world has no freaking idea. None. Right. It's going back to some of those basics and fundamentals that I believe that most people uh, take for granted or don't know that other people don't know it. And so I find with my, with my work now is listen, nothing is more terrifying than the idea of unlimited possibilities, but that's the way it is with the human body. And if that, terrifies you you're in the wrong freaking business you might want to leave because you have to step up to the plate and you got to figure it out and break it down and have a system because your client deserves it but start with the basics start with some of those fundamentals right of like when you work with somebody do they have enough mobility in that ankle do they have enough mobility in that big toe can they stand on one leg with their shoes off feet together in the one leg in the air with their eyes closed for 20 seconds. Yes or no. Like if somebody can't do that, then you can't take them out and crush them on an exercise program. So you've got to know where your structure is and where your limit is. One of my favorite books that I ever read was called a checklist manifesto. Guys, ever heard of that? Just going through some extra yes, stuff. Yeah. Cause you have to check the box and remove it. I always say remove it off the chessboard to make sure if it is a player or it's not a player. And then once you can check off all those things uh, for people, that's why I like the FMS and the SFMA. That's a really nice way to check off some boxes to at least have a starting template to begin with someone. And then you can work at it from there. We could, we could go all day. So we might have to come back and circle back and do another one of these. But uh, before we wrap up this one, Mike, any last thoughts or questions you wanted to throw out there? No, I'm just, I'm just realizing that at this point, I don't know a damn thing (laughs) because there's just so much to know. No, but uh, you know, doc, thank you so much for sharing your insight. I know we're just at the tip of the iceberg and, you know, I've followed your work for, for such a long time and, and we really, really thank you for your insight. And Eric, I'll, uh, I'll let you, uh, 
I'll let you wrap it up for us, buddy. Cool. Well, you know, Thanks, Perry, man. you're a, you're a man of many, many talents and uh, involved in a lot of different things. What's, what's some of the new exciting things that, that people can look for uh, from you in, in the months uh, to come? Well, thank you very much, my friend. I, I truly appreciate that. I had a great time. It's hard to believe it went by so fast. I think we hit the matrix flow state that they talk about. Um, and thanks again for having me on the show. Yeah. So next year I'll probably do some live workshops again. I did one live workshop and this year, which was pretty nice to be back in front of human beings again. And I know you're doing all that as well. I'm going to bring my uh, movement course back next year that I haven't taught in about three years. So I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, that's called primal movement change. That's just a lot of my, most of my movements are based on the ground because of what we touched on a little bit before about mobility and stability from there. And I have uh, quite a lot of new products that I'm launching out next year from Stop Chasing Pain that I'm excited about. So people can follow us on Stop Chasing Pain. Not too difficult to find us. If you type it into Google, you'll find a lot of stuff showing up. Awesome. We're going to put all the links in the show notes and it is uh, so great to see you again after so many years and uh, see all that you've accomplished in that time. And so uh, we're definitely going to circle back and, and invite you to come back and, and dive even deeper um, because we didn't even, uh, as Mike said, scratch the surface, but we want to thank you all for listening. We want to thank you, uh, Perry, for, for being on the show. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.